You guys doing well today? Okay, I'm not convinced. I might ask you again halfway through. We'll just see how it goes. But let's, let's jump in. And so Mark 1, you know, can you think of a time when, when someone has been incredibly generous to you? And I want you to, to really encourage you to, to think beyond financial generosity. So often that's where my mind will go first and stay there. But I want you to think about, man, a, a time when someone was, was generous towards you with their time and their attention and their investment in you. Maybe it's a, a, a mentor or maybe it's a teacher or a friend or a coworker or maybe it's a parent or a sibling um, for you. You know, I was thinking about um, that question this week and a couple things came to mind. I, I remember when I was in third grade, I had a teacher named Miss Shoemaker and Miss Shoemaker was a short little lady, but she was filled with so much joy, so much of God's heart. And when I was younger, I had a lot of headaches. And, and I remember in third grade getting this headache one time. And, and I went up to her and I'm like, hey, I just don't feel very good. Like, you know, I, I need something. And so I remember she literally, she stops class and she goes and she gets her purse. And, and we start walking down the hall and we, and we walk into the front office of Southwest Elementary in Murray, Kentucky. And, and we walk past the receptionist. And I, you know, my heart's beating fast right now because the next door is the principal's office, the left door. And I'd been there before, if you were curious. And we can talk about that another day. Um, but we, we walk past the principal's office, you know, dodge that bullet. And we get to the back of, of the, the, the office and it's the teacher's lounge. She takes her wallet and she goes to the vending machine and she with her own money, buys me a Sprite. She tells me to lay down on the couch and she's like, hey, drink this Sprite. You know, here's some Tylenol. Here's the couch. Lay here till you feel better. And I'm like, man, if, is this the treatment for a headache? Like, is this what happens when I tell a teacher that my head is hurting? And, you know, and I, I'm just thinking about like her incredible attention that she gave me. And it wasn't this moment of like, hey, just suck it up. You're fine. You're only in here for a little bit longer. It wasn't call mom. It was like, hey, how can I give my full attention to make sure you're okay? And I'm like, that really small moment that happened when I was, you know, 10 years old clings with me. For you, who, who is someone in your life that has been lavish in their generosity, their investment, their, their prioritizing you? You think about somebody? I think about my, my youth pastor growing up, and it's hard to pinpoint just one moment, but for six years, man, his, his life was marked by showing up at my house. And he'd unload his four-wheeler from the back of his truck, and we'd ride four-wheelers around our farm. It, six years was, was marked by him taking me to lunch and asking me the hard questions. It was, it was marked by him showing up and, and helping me do my chores around the farm, things that I was doing. Six years of, of, of whitewater rafting and going on mission trip and him opening his home anytime I needed to talk, anytime I was going through something hard, him being hospitable, come over anytime. And, and it's so amazing because I knew I wanted to do ministry and before I went off to, to college, he and his wife just blessed me. They sent me, go chase after the heart of God. You know, pursue him. They, they bless me financially. They, they bless me with their time. They bless me with their heart. When, when they come to town, they'll take Courtney and I to, to dinner. They'll ask us about how things, and when I, when I look at, at Nick, when I look at Meredith, I see someone whose life was marked by radical generosity towards me. You know, and when I think about someone who's poured into me, a couple of things surface. You know, one is just this immense sense of gratitude. 
Right? I mean, I didn't do anything to earn that. I did nothing to deserve their attention and their time. So this gratitude stirs up. But, but, but more than just gratitude and being thankful, this desire stirs up inside of me to, to give that to other people. Man, because you know when, when you've received an incredible gift, you know the joy of it, you know the way that it's blessed you and benefit you and built you up. And, and the thing that you truly want, that your heart truly wants is to pass that through your life to someone else. For you to be the person that someone else is sitting here going, man, when I think about someone who's radically been generous towards me, we all want that. In fact, it's what we were made for. Today, we're gonna be talking about the generosity of Jesus. And we're not talking about money at all. And, and what I love about the series that we've been in this summer, if you've been tracking with us, is that we've been looking at the, the personality and the disposition and the heart and the ways of Jesus for the purpose of us knowing him. Not just knowing facts about him, but knowing him, like interacting with him, loving him, walking with him. And, and beyond just knowing him, we're, we're looking at Jesus so that we will live just like him. That we all know, for, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that the, the times demand more than for us just to show up and to, to say, yeah, we believe in Jesus, and for us to leave here and not live nothing like him. That we understand that part of what it means to experience Jesus is that we, we know him, we receive from him, but then we turn around and we live just like him for the sake of the city for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. So this morning, we're gonna be talking about the generosity of Jesus. Generous is not, about, is not about being wealthy. Being generous is about opening up one's life and fully sharing and, and, and freely giving and lavishly giving what one has to help another. It's about opening up your life and giving what you have abundantly to bless others. Today, we're gonna to be looking at this story in Mark chapter one, and we've been hopping around all summer, so we're not just working our way through the book of Mark. I wanna just quickly catch us up so that you understand what we're picking up in the story. And so Jesus had just started his ministry. 30 years, he'd been developed in the private places. 30th birthday rolls around, he steps into the public eye. One of his first moves is to recruit coworkers, teammates. And so he goes by the Sea of Galilee and he finds two sets of brothers, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Their first move is to go to the city of Capernaum. And in Capernaum, they go into the synagogue. And in the synagogue, it says that Jesus teaches, that Jesus drove out demons. And I love Mark chapter one, verse 28. It says that news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the whole region of Galilee. This is where our story picks up today. So I'm gonna walk us through just verse by verse, commenting on a few things in these nine or 10 verses. And then at the end, just give us kind of three observations about Jesus. And so here we go, starting in verse 29. It says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they, Jesus, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's just another name for Peter. Verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. So Jesus went to her. He took her hand and he helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. You know, typically when you have a fever, it means your body's fighting something, right? It, it, it means oftentimes that you're contagious. And, and I love this about Jesus. In the midst of her fever, Jesus gets closer to her. He, he takes her hand the hand that she'd probably been coughing on, right? 
You know, we, one of the things that we know about Jesus is that it, there was not a requirement for physical touch for Jesus to heal people, that Jesus all the time could heal people in different cities and in different towns, and there was not a prerequisite that his hands be laid on them for them to experience it. And so we're going, man, so what is going on here? And the reality is that we don't fully know what Jesus was doing, but we do know this. He is showing us something about who he is. He's trying to reveal something about his ways and his heart, and this is what I think he's trying to show us, is that when we are in need, he moves closer. That he doesn't pull back. He's not afraid. Some of you this morning, maybe you come here and, and, you're, and you're worried. You're, you're, you feel like you're Simon's mother-in-law and you just feel like he's moving away from you. And what you need to know is the truth is that when, when you are most in need, Jesus moves close. He doesn't pull away. He's in tune to what you need. Verse 32. I love this story. That evening... After sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Verse 33, and the whole town gathered at the door. This week I was studying and going, okay, you know, how big is the town of Capernaum? Are we talking like 50 people? Are we talking 2 million people? And um, they, they um, estimate that there were around 1,500 people in the town of Capernaum this time. So what that means is there are 1,500 people gathered outside the door. I love this glimpse that we get into what Jesus is like. Just, just picture this with me. Jesus just finishes dinner. Man, the sun's going down. He's probably starting to think about how good that, you know, the, the coolness of the pillow is going to feel on his head. You know, he's probably starting to think, man, I can't wait to just have a little conversation with Peter and Andrew and James and John and mother-in-law and get to know this family more. And you can just imagine Jesus going, I can't wait to just get to know them. And then... And they go to the front door and it's not the neighbor like asking for eggs and it's not the, the neighborhood kid, you know, who's trying to sell you something. They look out and they like, and you see a 1,500 people, you know, like four times what's here right now outside your door. I want you to, to imagine this. You know, some of you who are, who are night owls, you love a big crowd That's your door, and you're like, this is awesome. We're about to have the best game of live mafia ever. Like, this is gonna be a lot of fun. And and others of you, man, you you, you look out and you see 1,500 people, and you're like, how do I get rid of these people? Like, I gotta go to bed. Like, I got an early morning, and, 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 and I love what Jesus does. Verse 34. Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Listen to this verse. This is so important. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, there's lots that's packed into this one verse. You know, when, when Mark, the writer here, um, he says, when Jesus healed many, he doesn't mean that Jesus healed some, but not others. And when we first read it, that's kind of what it sounds like. Well, man, did some people like show up to the door and Jesus is like, nope, not you, no healing for you today. And no, it's in the Hebrew, a better translation is that, is that great was the number of those who were healed. It's a way of speaking about the whole community. And so I want you to understand this, that when, when Jesus looks at the crowd and they show up to be healed, Jesus heals every single person. And it says with various diseases, which means that, that no matter what came at Jesus, he knew how to heal it. He knew how to help it. It wasn't just one particular thing. It was no matter what you brought to the table, Jesus knew how to deal with it. And then it mentions this interesting word, demons. Demons. 
And it's mentioned many times in this story. And while it's really possible to develop an unhealthy interest and kind of obsession in demons, I think so often in our rational, you know, you know the, the 21st century that we're living in, that it's just easy for us to just kind of dismiss this. Either because we don't know what to do with it or because we don't believe in it. And, and this is not a major point, so I don't want to spend much time here, but here's what I want to say is that is that demons, man, they are, are real spirits that exist. And they are in rebellion to King Jesus. They fully know who Jesus is. They are much weaker than Jesus. And even though they are in rebellion to Jesus, Jesus still has authority over them. Now you can go back and you can think through some of those lines, but here's what I want you to, to understand. Jesus shows up to these people who had these spirits living inside of them. And it says that Jesus drove them out and he would not let them speak. Isn't that interesting? Like, why? Why would Jesus silence these these demons? Well, because he didn't want the, the demons testifying about him. He wanted his people who'd been transformed by him testifying about him. He didn't just want demons who knew who he was. He wanted people whose lives had been transformed by the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. And so Jesus silences the evil spirits. And we're gonna see what he does is that he desires for us to speak freely of who he is and what he's done in our lives. Keeps going. Verse 35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I wonder how long of a night it was. 1,500 people that he's dealing with and it says early the next morning. You know, just imagine short amount of sleep that Jesus had that night. Verse 36, it says that Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. You know, a few observations about Jesus when, when we're talking about the generosity of Jesus. You know, the first is this. I mean, Jesus lived with clarity on his purpose. Jesus had clarity on his purpose. It was so abundantly clear to Jesus that he knew what he was put on this earth to do. He says, I've come to preach. I've I've come to drive out darkness. I've come to to serve. I've come to help. I've come for, for my life to be poured out for the sake of those who are in need. He had clarity on his purpose. And 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 I think we're too easily. Man, we can dismiss that. Well, of course he did. He's God, right? Yeah, he was God, but Jesus is also fully human. I want you to think about this. Do you have clarity on the purpose of your life? Like, do you know what you were put on this earth to do? 
And I think so often, man, we have clarity on, on the smaller streams of our life. Man, I was, I was put on earth to do this job, or I was put on earth to be a, a spouse, or I was put on earth to do this. And we have these moments of life where, where we just feel like what we're doing it's, is what God created us for. And, and, and those things are important, but they're smaller streams. The big stream of your life, the reason you and I were put on this world was so that we would know and love God and we'd live just like him. That in this life, we would, we would know God deeply. And that everything about our life would be to please him. Your thoughts and your actions and the way that you spend your time and your energy and your money, the way that you live, it's all possible. To, it, it, was, it, was, it was meant to be this offering to God. That the fullness of your life, everything about you is this pleasing offering to God. And Jesus knew the purpose of his life. I've come to help people. And we go, man, how did Jesus live with such clarity on his purpose? And my guess is if you're a follower of Jesus, there was a moment in your life where it just started to click. Man, maybe you were, you were partying hard. Maybe you were chasing the things of the world or, or maybe you were just kind of like a, a, a nice person, nice, rational, you know, good, good-hearted person. And, but, but God came into your life and you realized, oh my goodness, everything I was pursuing as the, the first fruits of my life, those things don't satisfy me. My job and a relationship and my status as a parent or whatever it is, those things cannot ultimately say, I am made for God. The big stream of my life is God. And most of us, man, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have this moment where, where, you, where you, you, you have clarity about the purpose of your life. And my guess is that, that there's a time where, where that burns through you, that, that you want nothing more than to live for the Lord. But isn't it true that, that for each of us, that, that wanes? And we get distracted and we forget the purpose of our lives. And so I love what you see Jesus doing here. It says that he got up early the next morning and prayed. Guys, something happened in that time of prayer. And I don't think Jesus is just setting a precedent for us of what it looks like to, to start our days. Man, I do think that there's some value to, to waking up and letting the first fruits of your day being with God, letting him speak, spending time in the word, spending time in prayer. There's something about his, his, his very just model of the way that he lived his life that is good for us to imitate. But I also want us to see that, that something incredible had just happened. Jesus healed a whole town he goes and prays, and on the other side of that, he has clarity on the purpose of his life. And I want to encourage us, man. There's something about the place of private prayer that God brings clarity to our purpose. That, that private prayer, personal prayer between you and God is the place that he affirms and he directs and he directs your life when the purpose becomes cloudy. Man, it's in his presence, in the Father's presence that, 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 that when you come into his presence and you say, God, I just, you know, Psalm 139, would you search me? Would you see if there's anything that is offensive about me? Is there anything about my life that is off? Have I deviated from your purpose? And I'm telling you, if you come into the Father's presence with that kind of humility, 
with that kind of, God, would you search me? That the thing that I want more than anything is in this life to please you, that I promise you that God is not gonna crush you and he's not gonna shame you and he's not gonna destroy you, that if you come into his presence with that kind of humility saying, God, search me, the thing that he will do is he will bring clarity. And if you wanna know what you were made for, if you've become cloudy in the purpose for your existence, a place of prayer is a place that that gets cleared up. You see, Jesus, man, he had clarity on his purpose. The second thing that we see about the generosity of Jesus is that he was undeterred by success. He had clarity on his purpose. Number two, he was undeterred by success. You know, for some of you this morning, if you're wrestling with the purpose of your life, if it's not clear, if we're being really honest, the reason that it's not clear for some of you is, is because of failure. Because deep in your heart, you feel like God has failed you. That you prayed about something and God didn't answer the way that you wanted. God didn't come through for you the way that, that you had hoped. And so your response to that was to harden your heart and to close your life off to God and say, God, you didn't do this the way that I thought or you let this happen. You must, and, and we make all these assumptions about God and we, and we close our ears and we close our eyes and we harden our hearts and we just say, God, you get in the closet. I want nothing to do with you. And some of us, man, the reason that, that our, our purpose is, is not burning for God right now is because of failure. But, but today, the thing that I really wanna speak in on is that for many of us, the reason that we're not clear on our purpose is not because of failure. It's actually because of success. Think about this, guys. Jesus had just healed a whole town. That has got to be the best day ever. Like, I've never had a day like that. And I wonder if, if Jesus was in his spirit, in his mind, I wonder if he was wrestling, going, man, should I just settle here? Like, these people in Capernaum, they clearly love me. And they value me. You know, I show up and, and, and they are at the back door and, and they waited hours just to come and to experience my presence. And they wake up the next morning because they want to be with me. And, 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 and I wonder if Jesus was wrestling with, man, what if I, if, if, if I never have to go to Jerusalem? Or what if I don't have to go to, to other towns and villages? What if, what if I don't have to face the rejection that I know is coming or the suffering that I know might be coming? What, what if I just stay in this comfortable place of Capernaum? It's not exactly what I'm made for, but man, it's really good. Like God's doing some really good stuff here and it's making a difference. And I go, man, are we ever tempted to settle for less than what we were made to do? Man, we're experiencing something good. Man, maybe it's a house church for you. Maybe it's a small group. And you know that God has called you to, to share your faith and to disciple other people and to be bold and to, and to pray for people and to, to give your life. And you go, man, but I think there's just really good fruit in, in, in leading this house church right now. And I just, I think I wanna keep doing this when God's inviting you into more. Or maybe it's the success of, of the world where God, maybe you have lots of wealth. Or maybe you have lots of, of notoriety. You have lots of influence. Maybe it's a relationship. 
Maybe you're successful in the eyes of the, of the world, but when you really look at the things that you're successful in, you, you realize that those things have actually made you deviate from the purpose of your life. I remember when I was in high school dating this girl. And I knew early on in my life that I wanted to be a pastor. I remember starting dating this girl and, 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 and she didn't want me to be a pastor. We didn't have the same, we were not aligned in our love for Jesus. I love Jesus way more than she did at the time. And so she was convincing me like, hey, don't be a pastor. Like do a job that makes lots of money. If you make lots of money, we can be really happy. And it was so crazy because, you know, for a long time, I knew that I wanted to do ministry. And I got into this relationship that in the eyes of the world, successful. You know, I'm on a path to making lots of money and this being really happy. And I realized, man, my purpose was almost compromised. And I want you to think about, is is there an area of your life where you're being successful? But it's actually that place of success that is keeping you from stepping into things that God's made you to do. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you're settling for a relationship with someone who doesn't love Jesus. Because you're just tired of being lonely. Don't settle. Or maybe it's, it's, it's money and you got into this really good job and you're, and you're making lots of money, but it's cost you. It's, it's cost you community and it's cost you. You're having to do things that, that, that you don't actually believe in. It doesn't line up with your ethics, but you're doing it because of the money and you're justifying it. And I'm going, man, is, is, is it causing you? Is your success causing you to lose your purpose? See, Jesus was undeterred by success. He knew that father had more for him. And he knew if he stayed, if he stayed in Capernaum, people would miss out on him. If he stayed in Capernaum, he didn't have to go to Calvary. That if he stayed where, where everything was comfortable and everyone loved him, yeah, man, he would feel affirmed and encouraged. But man, he knew people needed him. And he didn't let his success stop him. Third thing I want us to see this morning is that Jesus was committed to his call. He was committed to the call that God had on his life. See, it wasn't just enough for Jesus to know what he needed to do. It doesn't count if you just know it, but you don't do it. Jesus knew that in order to be committed to the call, he actually had to do it. Guys, I I love this passage of scripture. I love so much about it. Man, the the generosity of Jesus just bleeds through the pages. Man, that that Jesus would choose to leave this place of of worship in Capernaum, but even before that, the, the place of worship in heaven where the angels and the Father and the Spirit who, who knew Jesus, who knew his heart, where he was, he was worshiped and he was loved, that he would make the choice to, to set that aside, to come to this earth where he would be rejected and hated and mistreated and spit upon and misunderstood, that he would leave the place of worship and honor to come to a place where he'd be rejected. Why? Because of you. You had no hope. You had no chance. I had no chance knowing God, walking with God, enjoying God forever without Jesus. 
because he came, because he took the hard path, because he laid down his life, because he was willing to be crucified in our place for our sins. You see, Jesus wasn't thinking about himself at every turn. You know who he was thinking about? The Father. What do you want, Father? He was thinking about the lost world. You see, when you, when you look at yourself, it never makes sense. It never makes sense to live out the call because it always is costly. It's gonna cost us something. It's gonna cost us more than we wanna pay. It's, it's a high cost. But when you think about the world, you think about those who don't know Jesus, when you think about the Jesus that has come into your life, the real Jesus, the Jesus who paid for your eternal sins that you will live forever in the presence of the Father. When you look at the real Jesus who comforts you in all the midst of your pain and your heartache, when, when you look at the real Jesus who's given you grace upon grace for all of your stumblings and all your failures, when you look at the real Jesus, what you realize is, man, you can't keep him to yourself. You, you can't be stingy with this Jesus. And you don't actually want to be. You know, the people of Capernaum that day, they came to Jesus and, and they begged him to stay. They wanted him to stay. Why? Because Jesus is amazing. That's why. They're not selfish people. They're going, man, we love you. You're incredible. Your heart is good, and, and you're a healer, and they understood who, they had clarity on who Jesus was. But if they could zoom out, they would go, man, the only reason we know Jesus is because he came to us. He came to our town, which means that he had to leave somewhere else to come to us. And the reason that we know him is because he opened his life and his heart and his calendar and he has poured into us. In our town, this town of Capernaum, we're changed because of him. And as much as we want him to stay, what we really want is for others, the other cities, the other towns to know him like we do. It's in that same heart that we find ourselves today. You know, some of you this morning, you're not followers of Jesus. You've never experienced the salvation that comes. You've not come to the point where, where you realize that, that there is a God. A God who loves you deeply, a God who died for you on the cross, a God who, who you will meet one day. Whether, whether you die and he raises you from the dead and, or, or, or he returns on the clouds to this earth and we see him face to face, there's gonna be a moment where all these stories that, that might seem silly and that might seem foolish where you realize that this God is real and that everything in here is real and it's pointing to the day of, of his return and, and he is begging you, petitioning you, come to me. Let your life be shaped by faith. And as you open your life up to believe that Jesus did die for you, that he is coming back, that there is a God who when you pray, he draws near and that is going to return. When you open your life up to this God, you discover love and grace and mercy for yourself when you also find it to give to other people. And I encourage you, some of you this morning, 
The step that he's asking you to take is to come and give your life to him. To be baptized, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To let your life be shaped by him. Others of you this morning, man, you're followers of Jesus. And maybe some of you, you come here this morning and, and you've gotten really cloudy. Man, your, your, your heart is convoluted. You don't know which way your life is going. You don't know what you're doing. And this morning, man, what, what you need is for God to come in and clear out and to purify and to refine you. And there's nothing that he wants more than to recommission, repurpose you for the thing that he created you for. One of the most compelling things about life with Jesus is this thing called repentance. It's you're going one way, God comes and finds you, and he says, hey, just start going the other way. It's not this, it's not this tongue lashing, it's, not the, it's this invitation, just come back. You've been living the things for the world, you've been living for the things of the world, you've been chasing after the things of the world, man, chase after my heart. Some of us, it's just that simple. It's just a turning back of our lives. God, I'm coming back to you. I'm reprioritizing you. I haven't been spending time with you. I haven't been prioritizing corporate worship. I haven't been prioritizing my smart. God, I'm coming back. That's what repentance is. It's not kicking yourself for the years of rebellion. It's coming back and enjoying the party that God's throwing for you coming home. And as you receive that grace... And others of you this morning, man, you are so full of the, the grace and the power and your testimony about God is so good, but the reality is you've been staying in Capernaum because you're scared, because there's been success and he's inviting you to go. Man, to, to share him. To not be stingy with Jesus, to not be stingy with the things that he's given to you, but to freely give what you've received. Man, to freely give his grace, to think about the people around you that, that stumble and mess up and they're falling and, and for you to extend that same grace that God's given to you. It, it's about us being generous with our time. It's about prioritizing people. Your pet dog is probably amazing. And, and your cat, I don't, I don't really care for cats. It might be amazing. You know, we, we, spend, all of, we spend a lot of time in, investing in animals. I think there's actually something to that. Like God created animals. They have value. They have worth. I love, you know, I'm not hating on animals. I mean, but the, the chief, the, the chief like prize of this life is people. And every single person here and every single person that we're going to encounter is, is a valued treasure of God. Some of them don't know it. Some of them are in denial. Some of them are running for it, from him. And, and for us as people who are so filled with the grace and the love and the spirit of God for us to understand, we cannot stay in Capernaum where it's safe. We gotta go with Jesus. He's going to the next town. Man, we, we can't just stay where it's comfortable. We gotta go to people. We gotta open up our lives and our time and our heart and everything that we are so that people can know the God that we know. And when that starts to burn in us, when that starts to, to be the life that we're living, we, we realize that we're actually following Jesus. 
that we're actually not just receiving from him. We're doing exactly what he's done for us. So here's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to invite us, if you feel comfortable right now, just to, to kind of close your eyes. And I'm going to just invite us, and we're literally going to take a minute. I'm going to pray for us. And then I want you just to listen, just to pay attention to any thoughts or memories or words or anything that comes to your mind, that comes to your heart. I'm going to ask Jesus two questions. Lord, is there any place in my life where I am living generously like you that you want to encourage me? So I'm sure if you're a follower of Jesus, there are lots of things that you're doing that the generous spirit and nature of Jesus is coming out of your life, I'm gonna ask him to, to bless that part that we are partnering with him. And then I'm also gonna ask him, God, is there any place in my life where I'm being stingy? God, where you, where you are inviting me to be more generous. And so here, let's, let's, let's do this, let's, let's pray. And so Lord, we just honor you. That though you're the king of heaven, you came and as a servant, you chose a really hard path. Being born in poverty, really, as a refugee. You were born and there was a death warrant on your head. Spent some time growing up without a father. You, you experienced a lot of rejection from, from people that you created. People that you knit together in their mother's womb and that would spit in your face on the cross, that mocked you, that... What love, Jesus. How different you are than any other God, any other power. You are alone. You truly are the God most high. And Jesus, we honor you in this place. And we love you. And God, I've, I've just been stingy with you. And I've been scared to share you. And I want to freely give what you have so fully given to me. God, I want to share you with my neighbors. I want to share you with our city, I, I want to be alive to you, Jesus. I want to walk with you. And I know my sisters and my brothers do here. We want the real you, Jesus, for our lives to really count. And so right now, Jesus, you see us all. You know us all. I pray you would pull back the enemy right now, that any place that he is trying to get in our minds and our heads to cloud or frustrate or disappoint, would you just bind him? Would you give us a, a clean slate, like our, our minds, let them be like a, a blank chalkboard. And I pray that right now, Lord, that you would just speak to us. Would you affirm any place in our lives where we're being generous like you? Bring it to our attention, Lord. Somebody, a face, or, or, or someone, some place where you see us you want to encourage us.
you know, Lord, for those who, who just pictured something, God, let us receive that for what it is. Let us really believe that you're actually speaking, that you gave us something, that that's a real place that, that you're trying to show us that you see us. And then for those who didn't, God, and I pray that, that they would keep in your presence, whether it be right now or whether it be this week, they'd keep asking, God, would you show me? I think you sometimes try to, you're trying to develop perseverance in us, that we don't just show up and ask you for something and leave. No, that we learn to linger in your presence. So don't let the enemy sow seeds of discouragement if we didn't get anything, God. Help us to see that you're working. And I pray this week that you would speak places of, of encouragement. And then, Lord, at the same time, I just ask Jesus, Father, Spirit, would you reveal any places right now where we're being stingy, where we're not being generous like you, where we're holding back? Where you invite us to, to freely give, to fully give of our life, and we're not doing it, God, would you reveal a place that you want us to step? Lord, we love you for all that you've done for us. For all that you are, we honor you. We worship you. Make us like you. Help us in places of resistance, discouragement, fear, Lord, overcome those. We love you. In your name we pray, amen. I want to invite us to stand. I'm going to take the next few minutes to take communion as a church family. And the way that this works is a piece of bread and a cup of juice. You're welcome to, to get a cup and a piece of bread and come back to your seat. And I encourage you really to share with the people around you. If you feel comfortable, man, what, where was the Lord affirming you? Or where is he inviting you to take a step? And if you didn't say anything, you didn't feel anything, just say that, hey, I didn't get anything. Will you pray for me? And, and keep praying, keep pressing into the Lord. If you need prayer, there'll be some people over at the Respond banner. We'd love to pray for you. If you want to give your life to Jesus, let's do that today. We're here for you. So let's take the next few minutes to take communion. They're going to play music. And then uh, after a few minutes, they'll call us back into worship. So let's take communion now.